Greetings, and welcome to Formula XX, a podcast by two Gen X women about Formula One and other motorsports, usually with adult beverages and always with adult words. Today, we're talking about the 2023 Qatar GP, which was dangerous, disorganized, and didn't need to be either of those things. With a sprint race weekend format, new asphalt, no support races to improve track conditions, degrading tires due to LaSalle's unique curbs, ever-evolving track limits, racing in exceptionally hot and humid weather, and some inner team politics, there's a hell of a lot to unpack for Qatar. Here to help with exactly that is my partner in crime, Jen. Jen, how are you? Where are you? And most importantly... What are you drinking tonight? I am in Campbell River. Uh, if anybody hears any whining or crying, I do not have somebody tried up in my parents' basement. My parents' tiny five-pound poodle has decided to join us, and I cannot keep her out of the room without her making a large, tiny, squeaky noise, not a large noise. Um, and what I am drinking, I was going to drink Shelter Point, but my dad and I finished it. We forgot. So instead, I am drinking another delicious whiskey, uh, sadly not from the island, uh, but I am drinking some Smokehead from Isla, uh, and it is living up to its name. It is one of my uh, go-to whiskeys. Uh, Heather, where are you, and what are you drinking? I am in Seattle, as usual, this week, and I have cracked open and poured a, frankly, ridiculously large helping of Lefroy Select. Uh, that bottle has been up on a shelf for a while, and I thought uh, to get through some of tonight's discussion about the Qatar GP, I might want to have this in hand. Yeah, I have the entire bottle sitting on the floor next to me yeah, to keep topping up. Excellent call. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You guys uh, don't see Heather's drink, but she is. Cheers. Cheers. Has a rather large one. Mm-hmm. It'll help your throat from, you know, the lingering bits of COVID. <laughs> Three weeks post-COVID, I will say, for those of you who have had COVID, and if you had, I'm sorry, and if you haven't, run run far away and keep your masks on. Uh, I'm not enjoying how long it's taking to kick some of the symptoms, including this cold. I'll apologize in advance if I do sound like I have a smoker's hack tonight. I do not, I'm happy to say. So, Qatar, yeah, I, I'm honestly, I think I'm personally still trying to figure out what genius put this shit show in motion. Sports washing put it in motion. It is a horrible place to have a, a race. It's a horrible time of year to have a race there. Well, and who decided that you want to have a sprint race at Qatar? Yeah. You know, I, I understand that there's this bullshit background narrative that we have to jive up these ridiculous ways to make things more interesting and or controversial. But doing that on a track that we know there were, what, five blowouts when we were at this track in 2021? Yeah. The curbs were an issue back then, and even though they made changes to the curbs, it's a ton of high-speed corners and problematic curbs that did damage to tires two years ago. You've got, I don't know, a quarter of the grid, I'm guessing at least, if I stop to count, who have not driven on this track, at least in race conditions. So they got one whole hour of free practice to try and sort this track out. And then a shitty 10 minutes before sprints to sort out the changes. Right. And, you know, this was just a poor concept from the get-go. I wonder who is making these calls and why. Oh, I, th I think somebody's getting paid in deep pockets to make these calls. And I don't just think it's FIA or Liberty Media. I think there's kickbacks going on. There has to be somewhere for that. I don't disagree. I noticed there weren't nearly as many shots of the crowd this time as last time out. And it did say it was a sellout crowd, but I was still trying to decide if they were paid sellout crowd. 
or not. I do not think it was as blatant and awful as 2021, where it was very clear that they had purchased t-shirts and flags and distributed them to whichever people they had managed to bring in off of the street to come sit in the stands in 2021. Uh, I know just, you know, from online shared F1 fandom, uh, a number of people who were there and based on the photos, there were definitely more people in the stands. Sold out is a loose term under the circumstances. There was never a session that there wasn't a ton of space in the stands, but definitely there were more people there than last time. And, you know, I don't begrudge anybody going. No, not at all. I'd hate to think that you put this money lining of pockets spectacle on and don't have anybody there to appreciate it. By all accounts, it was absolutely miserable for the people who were just there to spectate. So um, when we get a few steps down the line and actually start talking about the race, it's certainly not hard to imagine how awful it was for the drivers. Jumping forward, I'm going to go ahead and go right with free practice one, which again, because they made it a sprint weekend, this was the only hour of practice the entire weekend. Basically, it was very sandy. Marker boards were being flattened. Lots of cars were off the track, especially at turn four. McLaren's and Alonso were fast. Verstappen's the bestest. <laughs> and Max, Carlos, and Charles ended up finishing as the top three, although I don't think anybody thought that was particularly representative. Well, Jen has her parents' poodle. I have brought my co-host, uh, Reese, to the table, who you may hear purring in the background as we continue on. So we got, on a sprint race weekend, a launch straight into Quali on Friday night. So the track was closer to race conditions, which I guess was a good thing. With such limited practice and without any of the other formulas racing last weekend in Qatar, uh, the track was really green and still evolving a lot uh, and was expected to continue evolving a lot during quali. And track limits, based on what had happened in free practice, were absolutely going to be an issue, and they certainly were. In Q1, we'll have a conversation about Mercedes, as we often do. Uh, but they decided to send their drivers out on mediums when every other driver that was on the grid was on softs for Q1. They sent them out late, sent them out on mediums, then realized they'd made a mistake, so brought them both back into the pit and really never got their drivers out until about the eight-minute mark. In the meantime, you had drivers losing laps left, right, and center, which meant that there was a ton of jeopardy because A, who was leading because of the evolution of the track was changing minute by minute. And there were people who you would expect to be near the top of the timing charts had no time at all on the board. Lando still hadn't gotten an actual lap on the board at the five minute mark, although he ultimately ended up second in the set in Q1. Max was down in 13th until about two minutes to go before he finally jumped to the top over everybody. And in the end in Q1, we lost Sergeant Stroll, Lawson, Magnuson, and Joe. It is worth mentioning, Stroll, who I think has taken nothing but shit from everybody everywhere online for weeks now, is clearly near his tipping point. He was very, very angry. Body language, facial expressions, the whole nine yards. When he got out of the car after being knocked out in Q1, he then basically shoved his personal trainer it was a 
you know, it was one of those pretty dramatic moments. We've since learned in the last couple of days that the FIA is investigating Stroll for some ambiguously defined potential violations that everyone is assuming is related to him shoving his trainer. It's a weird thing. I'm I'm still sort of struggling to think why the FIA has a role there per se, other than I guess that it was caught on camera and it may be a perceptual issue. That's normally a team issue, I would think. Right. And it should be a team issue. And yet, I can't remember now how many years ago when Max came up and shoved Akon out of line, Mm -hmm. nothing came of that. Yeah, I'm not sure anything will come of this either. What we're seeing, particularly for these drivers who are struggling and are being sort of publicly shamed on a continuous basis, the Checos and the Strolls and the Logan Sargents, is that it's taking a toll on their mental health. And when the commentators get right in their face immediately after something bad has happened, and then feign surprise when they don't get somebody just like, everything's great. I feel like they're baiting these guys a bit at times. Anyway, there was also another round of what is now becoming consistent, which is the drivers who are tagged for going too slow because they're not hitting the minimum time requirement that the race director has set. Nobody got in trouble. It's consistently so far, at least, ended up that this is a case where each driver is just getting out of the way of somebody on a fast lap. There was some potential jeopardy since four of them were tagged for after the session, but nothing happened. Q2, we had McLaren and Alonzo, again, fast right out of the gate, but Verstappen came out and was like, here, I'm half a second faster than everybody on my first run this time. He basically didn't need to go out a second time, which helped him save tires, which was consequential down the line. There was a really interesting mix of teams in the top 10, which we've seen a bit, but it was one of those instances where we had some big names uh, on the cusp and then ultimately out. Again, track limits were just keeping people from getting a time on the chart, and that just clipped wings for people. So Sonoda was out, Signs was out, Perez out again in Q2. Albon was out and so was Hulkenberg. I have to say, mostly in the context of another conversation that we've been having and that I think, you know, we'll continue to have, which is Lewis Hamilton struggling in quali, but he put in a banger of a lap in Q2, went to the top of the charts, beat Max by a 10th, and I think even had more in the car. It was just such a switch because he barely got through in Q1 because he didn't get as many laps on the board. And then that lap was just really pretty. Unfortunately, that form didn't hold in Q3 when it needed to, but it was nice to see him get a a really strong, strong lap on the board. Q3, wind came up again, which had been a problem in the morning, but hadn't really been so bad. Um, But because it was changing directions, it suddenly was affecting a bunch of people. Norris was really fast, but man, he was having track limits issues repeatedly. Though Lewis did have a really good first flyer um, on his second run, he had a big moment in sector two, which meant he couldn't improve significantly. Russell did improve on his. In the meantime, Oscar and Lando had both gone really fast, but everybody watching, including every commentator on whichever feed you're on, knew that Norris had lost his fast lap to track limits but they did not change it on the timing charts. You had Park Ferme and the top three had really been Max George, who had a great lap, like I say, and Lando, but Lando just didn't come to Park Ferme. Oscar came in his loo because he was fourth on track at that point. And he's halfway through his interview in Park Ferme with Naomi. And she goes, oh yeah, so 
we just discovered that your lap has been deleted for track limits as well. So that's how Oscar learned was that he had lost his lap also. So that bumped Lewis up into third, but it was just chaos and disorganization. And so weird because everybody knew that the stewards were just so slow putting out the information. So that early in the weekend, everything was disorganized and chaotic. The only upside was the grid was set for Sunday, but you sort of felt like it was setting the tone for the weekend and it did. As you were saying with the track limits, a huge clusterfuck, a problem throughout the entire weekend. I don't know if it was a new track. It's a new track that's been redefined between quality practices and then sprint quality and sprint in the race. And or if it's the heat or if it's a combination of all of them. But you had guys who were throwing up in their helmets as they were driving because of the heat. You had guys that were passing it around corners. You had at one point Russell going 195 miles an hour down the straight with his hands off the wheel out in front of the cockpit, diverting wind into the cockpit into himself. And all of that will lead to just subpar driving conditions. Yeah, I think subpar kind of defines the weekend. Sprint quality on Saturday or sorry, sprint shootout on Saturday morning commenced with an entire new layout. They had decided overnight that there were tire issues, little micro separations between the sidewall and the tread that were causing problems in turns 12 and 13. So with relatively short notice, you know, a couple of hours, they made a decision that they were going to change the layout of the track ahead of sprint quality and gave us our very first ever familiarization session. So that was, I think, a source of a lot of frustration for the drivers. I know in the aftermath of regular race quality on Friday night and the track limits issues that had taken away laps from Lando and Oscar, in the post-quality interview, the drivers were talking about the fact that you don't even really need track limits in the way that they were using them and enforcing them in Qatar, because the nature of those specific curbs, unlike at a lot of tracks, you're absolutely slower if you hit those curbs. There's no need to add a penalty overlay when you're already losing time on the curbs and risking damage to the car. Yeah, it's a self-penalization thing, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a self-penalization thing. So them deciding to paint a new white line whatever it was, 20 centimeter, whatever it was, a couple feet, but 80 centimeters, 80 centimeters trying to get themselves into a new groove. Bottom line, it was a big change because they'd already all been struggling there with their whole one hour of practice previously under their belt beyond the flying laps that they did in, in regular quality on Friday night. It was not ideal going into sprint quality. Someone was saying, I can't remember if it was a driver or it might've been one of the commentators, The nature of the track at Qatar means that there are no natural landmarks for them to focus on. So a lot of times when they drive, they're like, they focus on this tree. And when they're, you know, part of their car comes line to line with that tree, that's when they know to turn in. With Qatar, they don't have that. And so driving by the lines on the track, you know, you can't see them, right? It's just another level of fuckiness for them. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that when you're sitting in the cockpit of these cars, you can't possibly see the line on the ground. So again, I I just feel like this was another shiny example of the FIA being really bad at the actual operational, you know, how they get a race put together, how they're making the decisions about things, and then how they're implementing things, particularly on the fly. It's just not their strong suit. But tell me what you thought about Sprint Quali. So Sprint Quali, as Heather said, started with an awesome 10-minute diversion as the drivers got to desperately try and learn the tracks again. And everybody was going super wide at the turns that have been painted over. And nobody talked about this just from like a geek point of view. Paint takes time to cure. 
Like, I don't know how much that would have fucked things up, but everybody was going wide during that 10 minute session. Sergeant took out one of the uh, polystyrene markers and Alonzo went off. Max Verstappen went off. JP told him that he needed to stay out. And Max was like, I'm just going to box now. And JP was like, you need to stay out. You could have learned from that. And he's like, I don't need to. And Max just boxed himself, which I think was another sort of awesome example of Sir Max boasts a lot doing his own thing and not really caring what the team tells him to do. He is so big and full of himself. And when the team tells him sensible things, he just fucks off and does his own thing. And I really, really hope it's someday that's going to bite him in the ass. Like, I really want him to have an, a, a Norris moment of, I don't need to come in. This is closest chance he's ever had standing on the top of the podium. So we had that 10-minute session. They came in and they went right into quality. Another, I don't know what the fuck's going on with F1 TV and the rest of it. There was no timing chart on the side until nine minutes and 12 seconds into Q1 was the first time we had any notion of who was on track, what anybody's speeds were, what their tires were. There was no information. The announcers were blathering away. Every now and then the map would pop up with the dots on it and then it would go away. That was just the continuation of a very Qatar weekend. Also, we're going to have to have a podcast that's just about Mercedes and what the fuck's going on there. Yeah, Because Russell's out on track and he was out before Lewis was. And he was like, so what are we doing? Are we doing a proper lap or are we doing an out lap? And his engineer came on and said, we're still discussing that. He's on the fucking track. I feel this is a discussion. And it's Mercedes. It's not like Mercedes is ever the first one out of the garage. No. They're usually one of the last cars out anymore. Yeah. And they don't know what they're doing. But Russell was one of the first like three or four cars out. But yeah. Who knows what the fuck they were doing? Who knows? They didn't. Well, now we know why they don't let them go out any sooner because they're spending the whole time trying to decide what the fuck they're going to do. Like, I don't know. Do they have a magic eight ball to decide? Like, this is shit. I don't know if this is endemic of Toto not being there or what. I need to have more alcohol and we need to get further down the line before we wander into Mercedes territory, dude. Uh, So McLaren's out and McLaren is kicking ass. They're doing really well. Then, of course, Max comes out with uh, five minutes, just over five minutes left to go. And he comes out and he sets the fastest lap and he is nearly nine tenths of a second faster than everybody else. He was 8.49 seconds faster. And you're just like, well, fuck. Like then the next Russell is the next fastest and he was nearly a second faster than like Jesus. And Norris is like on the radio as well, just towards the end of the session asking, is he safe? Should he go out? Should he be going again? And his engineer was like, yeah, we think you're safe. Keep this in the back of your mind because this becomes very important for McLaren in Q2. And we get to the end of Q1 and we're not sure who has made it through to Q2 yet because people keep getting knocked out and knocked out and knocked out and knocked out going against track limits. And also, as Heather mentioned before, for regular quality, a whole bunch of people were noted for going too slow. So we had Russell, Hamilton, Gasly, Lawson, Sergeant Sonoda, Stroll, Albon, all noted for disregarding race director speeds, which nothing ever came of that. So we go into Q2 and both Mercedes come out right away and Hamilton has his time deleted right away because he goes track track limbs as does so many people. And they were just going and Lewis never ended up getting on the boards with any sort of time that got him through to Q3. And you're watching this and you're watching him like he's not going to get it. And every lap he set was deleted and he had like three laps, four laps deleted. Then you had Norris and Piastri 
and they're in and they're not going out and they were at the top and they come down and they end up in like Norris ended up in 10th. And if Stroll's lap time hadn't been deleted or Hamilton's lap time hadn't been deleted, Norris wouldn't have made it through to Q3. And that wouldn't have been on him. That was an actual time where he'd put a time on the clock. and he'd, That was McLaren keeping them in after like, I don't know, four laps or something. They'd been out there. They barely did anything. They only did one flyer each, I think. Yeah, I think the crazy amount of track evolution, it was exactly the same as regular quality. Yeah, we come into Q3 and right off the top, Verstappen has a flyer that gets deleted. And I believe this was the only one he had deleted this weekend. I don't remember him because he didn't have any in the race. And I don't remember him getting any others deleted. You can't see me, but I'm making a face. I'm not sure that's true. I feel like in regular quality, he had one or two okay. deleted. I can't remember. Um, I don't have- he definitely did not. Like in the race, he was yeah. ace as far as that goes. But I think in regular quality, he had a couple. Norris and Piastri beat him handy after his time got deleted. And that moved Max down into P3, which set us up for an interesting start of the grid about who's going where for the sprint race. Because you had a rookie on pole and you had... Yes, Oscar! Right? And you weren't sure how that was going to go. And you had Russell up there. And you weren't sure how that was going to go. And you had Max in third. And that was a real, like, what the fuck moment. You're like, oh, oh. And that will take us into the sprint race or whatever the fuck we're supposed to call it. Because we're not supposed to call it a race. Talk to me about the sprint. I actually thought that the sprint (laughs) was, for all my bitching about sprints and the sheer number of laps we spent behind the safety car. Again, it's just carnage and chaos but there was some fun overtake yeah it was really interesting we had for the first time since 2012 two mclarens on the front row and i was wondering about that i'm like this is going to be some interesting team politics and i gotta tell you i'd like to be a fly in the wall of mclaren the next couple of months see how that's gonna shake down well they're handling it a fuck ton better than mercedes are i'm sorry so yeah Russell had a very good launch for the start of sprint. He gets up into second place and Pips Norris ends up going down a couple of spots as does Verstappen. Verstappen had an uncharacteristically horrific start for him. Well, there was a couple things going on too, right out of the gate, right? With the start of the sprint, tire choice made a huge difference. I think again, because you've got such limited running that happened in free practice You can't really take anything away from that in terms of understanding tires. You certainly couldn't take much more away from either of the quality sessions that they had just had. And you had such a mixed bag of who started on softs and who started on hards. And the softs fired right the hell up. Yeah, you were on a soft, you fucking flew. George on softs, like, boom, he was right out there. If you were on mediums, that was a different story. It was interesting. I think it was such a crapshoot, like, We've had a bunch of sprint races at this point, and usually they're not quite as argy-bargy as this one because everybody's really worried about having, you know, a car ready for the actual race. But that wasn't the case this sprint race. Like, people went out. But do you think people were choosing to be argy-bargy, or do you think that's just a sandy, green track with absolutely not enough running on any conditions with now you're on a full fuel load rather than running it, like, a fifth of a tank or, you know, I mean, it wasn't a full tank. Let me, let me step back from that. It's a third tank in the sprint race. So they're still not running on a full tank. It's like the perfect scenario. I think it's just not having any of them having the experience. Like even the most experienced drivers were having moments. A ton of trouble. Everybody was having a ton, a ton of trouble. I think, I don't know what would have been the right tires. Like it's soft or mediums. Well, the medium was ultimately 
the right yeah, tire. Yeah, but those softs would have been way worse if we hadn't had all those safety cars. Those softs, they would have had to come in. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The medium had to, the, the medium absolutely ultimately was the right tire, but nobody had a way of knowing yeah. that going into the sprint. And on the first lap, we had a yellow. We had Lawson going off Lawson. and beached mm-hmm. it. And we had a yellow right off the bat. And Piastri, who had a really good launch, has to prove his medal again. So any of them on mediums did not have a great launch. Everybody on softs. They cleared Lawson's car up pretty quickly. Like It was not even a full lap of the safety car because we went green in lap two. And from right away, we had a great battle between um, Alonzo, who was on softs, and Norris, who was on mediums, trying to jockey for a position. Same with Russell and Piastri, because Russell ended up in first on his softs. And, you know, Piastri was behind him on the mediums. And then we get to lap two, and Sargent beaches himself. And now we're setting the clock back to zero races since Sargent last beached his car, or, you know, DNF'd. Yeah, it's hard to watch even for me at this point. And I don't really have any particular devotion to Logan Sargent by any stretch of the imagination, but it's tough to be underperforming in such a public forum, I think. So it's been a bit hard to watch. Yeah. And again, they got him off quickly because the safety car came in back in lap four. Uh, Shades of things to come. Sykes is reporting misfires in his car that the team tells him to change some settings on and not to worry about. And I wonder if it was not to worry about or if it was, we can't do anything about it, so don't worry about it. I think everybody felt like it was a sensor issue, but yeah, who knows what it really was. But he, he finished the race. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that ended up hampering him was soft tires. Sorry, I misspoke. I said the safety car came in lap four, didn't it? came in lap six. And Russell has a very good restart and it ends up being Piastri and Sykes battling for second. And then behind them, Perez and Hamilton have a pretty good battle going on and Hamilton's moving up. By lap 10, those on softs are really starting to slide around a bit. People are starting to say the soft, different drivers, not all of them are starting to say the softs are going off, which was proven quickly thereafter by Piastri handily getting by Russell. Like there wasn't much that Russell could do to keep him going. And then Norris pips Leclerc and is trying to make up points and probably to catch up to Piastri. And then we have Perez and Hulkenberg and Ocon having a battle, which ends up in our third safety car at lap 11. And I have to tell you, it was one of the more, I shouldn't really say comical, but I had started watching Lewis's onboard between about the time of that second race restart. And so, you know, as you alluded to early on, Lewis got right up behind Perez and then he sort of fell back a bit for a lap or two. And then he was right up behind that pack. Those three had been right sort of nose to tail. And the moment Lewis had come up on them so fast, I honestly believe that if there had not been a safety car, Lewis would have started picking them off, Mm -hmm. even though Checo was on mediums as well. So Checo was on the same tire, but right behind Hulkenberg, who was on softs, Ocon, who's on softs. They came out of turn one and Lewis was on Checo's tailpipe at that point. But on on Lewis's onboard, you just see like in slow motion it coming, <laughs> the three of them just going, and you could just watch it happen. And I am still, you know, all the drivers have amazing reflexes, but I was like, I don't understand how Lewis didn't get caught as Ocon's did a 360 in the middle of the track. But you just see on his onboard, all three cars going, 
out of frame on his onboard. And it was just like hilarious. And then I, I'm still like, I've watched it now a couple of times. Why the F did it take them so long to call out a safety car? You have two cars beached, a third that has taken a long trek through the gravel and gotten back on, but clearly has damage. Without its nose. Right. Without his front wing. And Lewis was somewhere between, I think it was like 10, 11, like two kilometers down the road before the yellow was called. Were they all watching a different race at that particular time? Did they not understand that those cars were off? It was really weird. They were all too busy celebrating with Paris being off. They didn't care about the rest of it. Max Verstappen's officially the world champion. So who cares about the rest of the season? There was was a a whole lot of, okay, we get to pull up that graphic in a minute. And oh God, let's please self-masturbate over how fast and uh, awesome and impressive Max Verstappen is. Right? And I think before the safety car comes out, Russell's saying he needs to come in for tires. Can we talk about George Russell, the genius strategist? Yeah. I'm sorry, but why are they having to explain to George on lap 14 that no? 12. Whatever. It doesn't matter. You're not coming in for new tires. That's not mathematically going to help you. Stay out and fight through it, buddy. Yeah, your tires are dead, but you're not coming in. No, there's no way. Not on a sprint race. You take a pit stop right now, you fall to the bottom, dude. Like, that's just, I, I just was like, really, George? I understand. You're worried that your tires are cooked. I mean, I get it. You're you're in panic mode. And that he wanted to argue with the team about it. Yeah, I don't know about Russell, man. Stay out. And everybody else on soft is having the same problems. So during the safety car too, there is, I don't know how it started. GP is basically telling Verstappen to drive his own race. Let it come to him. Don't worry about what else is going on. You've already won it. And Verstappen's like, I know, mate, I'm trying. But Piastri's pulling away from me. And GP's like... Don't worry about Piastri. We'll catch him at the end. We'll get him. And no matter what, you've still won. Max is so... I get that they're racing drivers. I get that they're focused on winning and driving. But I also think you have to be focused on the ability to bring your car home. This is the second time at this point. It's like an hour, hour and a half that Max has had to be told to use his head. At any rate, safety car comes in, lap 14, and everybody's like fired up. Leclerc pips Norris. Verstappen is right on Russell. And Piastri has an amazing restart, which keeps him well ahead while all the ones behind him are fighting. And I think his good restart won him the race. And then Russell's tires falling off. I thought it was fascinating, actually, that restart. And it was telling with regard to strategy that fed into the actual race, which was even though it was universally understood at that point by that restart, the soft tires were problematic, were falling off, were not the right choice to be on, blah, blah, blah the softs still fired up. Oh, yeah. So on that restart, people who were on the softs, even though those tires were cooked, still got much better getaways on those softs than those on the medium did because there was still a penalty if you're on the medium tire on the restart. So that's why those kinds of overtakes and and shuffleies were happening initially. I mean, it it took a lap or less or two for those on the mediums to get the advantage. But yeah, just that the softs could still give you so much better traction. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. And it gave us a lot of interesting battles going on, like Gasly pipped Hamilton. Well, he pipped Hamilton because (laughs) Alonso... Lewis almost had Alonzo yeah. and came so close to running into Alonzo that he had mm-hmm. to back out of it. And that was what yeah. let Pierre get yeah. by. And we also had within a couple of laps, the mediums firing up properly. 
And Norris had a really amazing overtake on both Leclerc and Sykes, which was a thing of beauty. He did that really, really well. Yeah. And Hamilton then repipped Gasly, and they had a bit of a to and fro to who got it. Gasly had a big lockup. But fuck Liberty Media and F1 commentators, because they were showing it with zero commentary. The commentators were yapping about something else that had happened. Meanwhile, you know, Lewis is going up the ranks and getting in the points. They're even showing it on the main feed and no commentary is happening on the thing that they are showing us at all. And it wasn't even like, oh, it changed feeds that, you know, the director changed feeds and gives them a second or two to catch up to it. The entire sort of Hamilton overtaking Gasly and Gasly locking up and nearly going off happened and there was no comments on it. We've said this in other podcasts. They must lose money if they say his name in any sort of positive light. Well, in that one, I mean, at least Pierre kind of took himself off. Again, I had the main feed and the onboard going at that point. And the way Pierre went off, you weren't sure if he went off, off, Mm -hmm. if you were looking at the onboard. The fact that they wouldn't be talking about that. Yeah, at all. Makes no sense at all. You know, if that race had been three or four laps longer, it would have been interesting to see how far up Hamilton would have got himself because that started a very surgical up and up and up and passing people because he passed Alonso, he passed Leclerc, he passed Sykes all within two laps. The last three laps, well, actually the last four laps, I was holding my breath again, being focused on the onboards. He got past Alonso in turn one, essentially, but the last two laps, particularly the, the second to the last lap, when he was behind Charles and you're watching, if you haven't seen it, it's worth going back and watching those Ferraris on those softs at that point was like watching cars on marbles. (laughs) They're doing everything possible to try and just keep the damn car on track, but they're bobbing and weaving all over the place. The fact that Lewis got by them without contact. I know I appreciate the irony because we still got to talk about the main race, (laughs) but the fact that he managed to thread the needle on those three cars, the way he did and the single most butt clenching moment of the entire season was the moment where he overtook Charles yeah. down the main straight. And I was 100% convinced he was going to put his car into the back of Carlos Sainz's yeah. Ferrari and didn't. And I still don't know how. Well, and I think it's just lucky too that the wind didn't come into play the same way for Sprint as it did for Quali. Can you imagine dealing with those softs going off like you're skating on ice with those cars and suddenly you also have a gust of wind or changing wind direction to deal with? Like that would have been. Poor Charles had four track limits violations on the last lap. Yeah. Lewis got by Carlos and was 1.1 second ahead within one corner. Yeah. How those Ferraris even got to the line. Alex Albon, kudos again. Alex Albon worked his way up through the field, was an absolute machine, just like Lewis. It would have been fun to see like maybe two more laps just to see where they would have landed. Yeah. The difference between Alex Albon and Charles Leclerc over the line, I think was 0.003 seconds. That's how close it was. Oh, it was so close. If you were Albon, you would have been so frustrated. If you're Leclerc, you would have just been like, sacrificing to whatever deity you believe in, right? Yeah. So it was actually more interesting than a lot of them have been. Yeah. So who finished where on the top of the exciting sprint race? Uh, I don't know. Who cares? Piastri won. That's the important thing. (laughs) That's what I want to hear. I don't care about the rest of them. Piastri won. Oscar Piastri with his first win in F1. 
It was awesome. I was so happy for him. I'm so happy for him too. I can't remember now if it was the race or if it was Quali where you had that super awkward handshake that Lando came up and gave to him as a congratulations. I was like, the fuck? Like the weirdest sort of meh handshake. I was like, the fuck? Your teammate just got his, I can't remember if it's his first podium or his first win. Yeah, but you know that to your point earlier, that is a awkward AF situation that has unfolded yeah. in the last couple of weeks. And whether you consider a sprint race a, a win, which I don't personally, I, I'm sorry, but I don't think winning a sprint is on par with winning a race. No, same. But, you know, Lando's had sort of, you know, the crown on his head and has felt that he was the number one driver and had the team completely wrapped around his little finger in the wake of Danny Rick's debacle at McLaren. Yeah, Danny Rick still has a win and he doesn't. It's gotta be hard. I don't envy him. But it'll be really interesting to watch. I think I'm more fascinated by how Liberty and F1 are going to treat this narrative than anybody. Yeah, same. So that race ended, or whatever the fuck we're supposed to call it, And a bunch of interesting things, sort of interesting things, happened overnight. Perez, it turned out, had so much damage that he was deemed to have a new chassis. So he started from his box. So he did not start on the grid where he qualified. Yeah, there had actually been talk of a 10-second penalty on top of the pit lane starts, which I saw reported a couple of different places on Sunday morning, but then never manifested in the race. Well, okay, let me restate that. There were 10 seconds worth of penalties, but not for the chassis change. So I don't know where that came from or or what came to pass that that didn't happen. Uh, We also had Carlos not even starting. He DNS'd because he had a fuel leak that Ferrari tried to chase down and resolve, but couldn't. And Carlos not starting meant that his box was empty on the grid And Hulkenberg made a hell of a fucking boo-boo when he came to line up because he did not line up in his spot. He lined up in somebody else. Was it Paris's spot that he lined up in or was it Sykes' spot that he lined up in? I don't know. I knew that he had a a a penalty for lining up in the wrong spot, but I didn't catch who it was. And we kind of jumped over probably what is the most important factor of the weekend for the race, which was... The FIA and Pirelli overnight had once again looked at the tires to analyze them to see what was going on in terms of damage after the sprint. And they decided that even with the modifications at turns 12 and 13, there was enough risk of tire issues that they mandated that all new tires could not run for longer than 18 laps and all used tires could not run for longer than 20 laps, which even though they didn't say it's a mandatory three-stop race, math means math, you were all going to have to do three stops at least. The thing about this was they waited until, if my understanding is correct, three hours before the race to finalize that decision, which meant that, I mean, a smart team, and there are many smart teams, a smart team already knew that this was going to be a possibility that they were going to mandate stint length or number of pit stops. But drivers had made decisions all weekend long, not accounting Mm -hmm. for that. And that meant the allocation of tires that were left was fucked. Now was going to have a dramatic impact on what drivers chose to go out on which tire, how long they were going to be able to run, how many pit stops, because lots of people had run 10, 11, 12. If you're Max Verstappen, 
you're fucking golden anyway, because he'd only had to run yeah. one set of tires in a couple of different quality sessions. Because he stayed in for a bunch of them. Right. So he had tires left, right, and center to choose from. But if you were further down the grid, you were screwed. The tires are made specifically for the track. It's not as if Pirelli can like magic up more tires. On a sort of side note, Pirelli had said that this was going to be a problem ages ago. And FIA, F1, Liberty Media, whomever were like, whatever, it makes for more interesting racing when the tires are a problem. And it's a problem that could have been fixed long before it was a problem. 100%. And and we've seen that come up in conversation before, which is Pirelli can make a better compact. They have the ability to do it. It's FIA, FOM who are pushing on not making a more durable composition of the tires. Mm-hmm. and. That came home to roost this weekend. Ironically, on the same weekend, week, or the weekend before the week. And let's be clear, they extended their contract because nobody else wants to do the job because it is a shit show. Except that beyond 27, I think this contract is going to run to 27. Then apparently Bridgestone wants back into the mix. I don't know. We'll circle back to that because I, I have read in a couple of places that this will be Pirelli's, either it will be Pirelli's last contract or it will be their last contract as sole provider. Which could be interesting. Yeah, let's circle around to that after we talk about the race. Well, uh, we, there's not much more to say on that. I mean, we'll just know more in the future. Yeah, because I've heard Bridgestone has officially been like, oh, no, once they've learned how handcuffed Pirelli are by the FIA, Bridgestone's like, oh, no, fuck that. It's just going to show us in a bad light. We don't want to show our tires blowing out. We don't want to show our tires wearing out because it's always put on Pirelli, right? It's yeah, bad it PR. Is. Whether it's fair or not. So we get back to the race and obviously who has what tire is determining who is going to start on which. Got to get right into it. Mercedes decides to split their strategy, which is not unusual uh, that we've seen them do that on a pretty regular basis. But I think in this case, it was um, an obvious choice. You have Max Verstappen lining up P1. You've got George Russell, who's lining up P2. You've got Lewis Hamilton lining up in P3. It's worth noting that Verstappen and Hamilton are both on the clean side of the grid, which actually mattered this weekend because, again, this is a very green track. There is nobody helping to clean the dirty side of the track. Yeah, there's no support races. They Mercedes opted to put Lewis on soft tires, which I think honestly was a strategy that benefited George Russell. And I'm just going to say it because um, unless and until Lewis Hamilton decides to qualify better than his teammate, that's the position he's in. He's going to be the the driver who is supporting the driver mm-hmm. who outqualifies him in terms of strategy. That said, the soft tire option, soft tire, clean side of the grid existed for one purpose and one purpose only, which was get ahead into corner one. The only way that that strategy means anything is if you're able to get ahead of Max Verstappen and control the pace for a few laps, because on a full tank of gas, that tire probably had seven, maybe eight laps in it before you had to come in for a pit stop. Now, I do think maybe that would have worked for Lewis if we hadn't had what happened that happened because he'd have been offset in terms of the pits. There was some theory that we were going to see really, really busy pit lane activity on those sort of target 18 and 36 and, you know, on and on. Maybe being on an offset for pit stops would have worked for Lewis. 
But it seemed pretty apparent what the idea was. I talked about it with the drivers. Yeah. So it is what it is. The race starts. Lewis gets an amazing getaway. George gets a really good getaway too. By the time we get to corner one, George is, he's coming up to Verstappen. He's on the middle of the track and Lewis miscalculates and cuts over and hits tire to tire with George, spins himself into the gravel and is out of the race. George is momentarily off. And I didn't know at that point, I I was, you know, in that moment, not sure whether George was going to be able to uh, keep going or not. Piastri had a great start, launched himself and ended up basically in second within a couple of turns. But this was the moment, right? This was the culmination. You literally knew I don't know about you when you watched it, but I literally knew the minute the race started, the second, five, four, three, two, one, lights out. The nanosecond they started going down the track and I saw George Jink over to the left, I knew what was going to happen. Yeah, there was no way that it wasn't going to happen. I saw it coming. It was absolutely going to happen. I was so, it was Lewis's fault. Okay, if you're listening I am a huge Lewis Hamilton fangirl, which nobody who's ever listened to one of these before will ever question. That said, I acknowledge it was Lewis's misjudgment. But I was so fucking angry in the moment that the team had not created a strategy and made it clear what was supposed to happen into turn one. And it was obvious they didn't because originally when George was on the radio, he was like, I'm so sorry. I wasn't looking behind me. I didn't see him. I didn't think. But he's lying. This is the problem right there. That's the part that you have to talk about. And I know this isn't a Mercedes podcast, but it's a Mercedes podcast right now. That's a lie. You can watch George. George knew 100% where Lewis was. The PR spin makes it impossible to understand because, you know, again, I went through the rest of the race just like, how could you have allowed this to happen? There was no reason for this to have happened. If you had a plan and it was clear what the idea was, you wouldn't have created a situation that put both of them side by side into that corner if you could avoid it. I am realistic enough to know George is a driver. He got a good launch. They both, frankly, got a better launch than Verstappen in some ways, right? He had the inside corner. He was, I think, trying to cover them both off simultaneously, realized he couldn't do it, but he had the inside line on the track into the corner into turn one. He was exactly where he needed to be. Well, the Mercedes boys took care of themselves for him, so. Well, they did. And the problem is we've spent time talking about this over multiple pods. This was inevitable. It was inevitable. It was absolutely going to happen. And more to the point, it's going to continue to happen. This is the tip of the iceberg. Now, Mercedes claims that they absolutely did have a strategy, that they talked about it, but that they don't do team orders. And so here we are. Well, I've got a newsflash. If you don't create team orders and make it specific what the plan is, this will happen anytime those two are together ever again. Because George Russell will never look at it through the lens first of what the team needs. Yeah. Ever. Ever. At least when Bottas was being a dick, he wasn't taking Lewis out, but he was nicking points off of him by doing like a fastest lap or something. But I mean, this could have been a huge for the driver's standings, right? Like absolutely epic. I don't care about the driver's standings. Like no offense, Lewis still managed to pick up points on Checo, even with a fucking DNF, yeah. right? Like, and and Lewis doesn't care about P2. I truly don't think he gives no, a I shit agree. about P2. 
you and I care more about him getting P2 than he ever will, and he's not going to get P2, so it doesn't matter. The team claims that they want P2 in the constructors. They're not going to get it. Between George putting it in the wall. Not the way McLaren's going and Ferrari. Yeah, well, you know, George put it in the wall and gave away a band load of points in Singapore. And Lewis ends up doing something stupid that costs them a crap ton of points. Again, my problem with all of this is this is a team that has no ability to develop their car in a productive way. Continues to have the seventh best pit stops on the grid. They've had two years while they're faffing around and screwing everything else up. They're still terrible at pit stops. Their strategy is sus at best, including this moment. Like, again, you cannot put the faster driver behind the slower driver. And I don't mean in terms of pace, although I think you can make a pretty good argument that Lewis has a better race pace than George. I'm talking about the tire delta. 100%. You set that fucking situation up. You created that problem unless you literally said to George, your job is to stay out of Lewis's way for the first corner. If he can't get by Max, it's fair play. But for the first corner, your job is to let Lewis get by him. Instead, George put himself right in the fucking way. On all those radio broadcasts back and forth they had, at one point I couldn't tell who was talking. It sort of sounded like Toto Wolf was talking. Get your head back, just drive. It was Toto. Okay. It was Toto. Toto called in again. Okay, that's what I thought. Like and told George to get his head down and drive. I just wanna I just want to put it aside for everybody. I've just watched the race today. It was Canadian Thanksgiving. I didn't watch any of it live. I've been catching up over the last couple of days. I've been stayed off social media for a lot of it. So I don't know a lot of these answers. So it was, it was good to, I was like, shit, man, that sounds like Toto. It's not his engineer. I don't know who the fuck that is. So Toto, is he still in the hospital calling? He's not in the hospital, but he was not in Qatar. They clearly have him fed into the garage and he's still weighing in on things. The shifting dialogue through that first stage. And of course, you know, in fairness, it's chaos. Everyone's reacting to it again. I, I don't really have antipathy for George. It's just, I'm still more mad at the team because they continue to create these situations. Yeah, that don't have to happen. This one was so avoidable. And for George to be like, I wasn't looking in my mirrors. You didn't need to look in your mirrors. But for the record, if you watch the onboard, he was looking in his mirrors. He knew exactly where Max and Lewis were. He simply elected to keep his foot in And that's his right. He's a racing driver. But it meant this was going to happen. Yeah. And what it tells us is it will continue to happen. Unlike Red Bull, who have a car designed completely around a single driver who is performing at such a high level, he can basically beat the entire rest of the field that have two drivers. That's how far ahead they are. And McLaren, who are not only driving with two incredibly strong drivers who are in no danger of taking each other out in the races are setting new records for fastest pit stops who are out developing everybody else on the grid, maybe kind of closing the gap to Red Bull a little bit. I mean, again, Red Bull's focus is on next year, but in terms of this year, McLaren keeps upping their game race by race. You know, this is an embarrassment. 
I don't think we've hit rock bottom with Mercedes. I truly believe this is not the last time we're going to see these two trip over each other this year. And we've only got five races left. I feel we're strongly heading towards a Rosberg-Hamilton situation with that team. A thousand percent. There's no other scenario possible at this point. Toto made this fucking mess. And he's not dealing with it. He always said with Hamilton and Rosberg, he came into the situation and he would deal with it completely differently if he had the ability to, but he never had the ability to. Buddy, you got the fucking situation right now and you are not dealing with it any differently. No, he's not. In fact, I think Toto's part of the problem. I think the lack of leadership. God damn, I miss Nikki. Yeah. I think this team flails without somebody who is an ass kicker truth teller. And there are none of those people left. Yeah. There's nobody who's willing to just go, look, it's this or that. I mean, your choices at this point are you tell Lewis, you know, Lewis, here's the thing, buddy, you got seven championships. You helped create a dynasty of eight constructors championships. You gave us a presence that we would never have otherwise had. But here's the thing. Yeah, you're not going to get another one. You got screwed out of your previous one, and we're really sorry about that. Well, we're really sorry about it, and, you know, admittedly, we didn't do fuck all about it, and you and I have different opinions on this, but nevertheless, we did nothing to help overturn that injustice, but here's the thing. We will support your diversity initiatives. We will do whatever it is in the background that we need to do to make you feel good about your time here, but we're putting all of our focus onto George Russell. And that's the way it is. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I watch what their social media team is doing and I think, well, maybe that conversation's already happened in the background. The sort of grotesquerie around Lewis, you know, initially he was like, I got taken out by my teammate, but very shortly after being back in the paddock, he was yeah, he stopped. like, this was my fault. Yeah. I don't think it was a 100% fault issue. I think, you know, I mean, the stewards called it a racing incident. I think the stewards call everything that's turn one, lap one, a racing incident. They never have the balls to do anything else, but predominantly, or if they had to judge it, it would have been Lewis's fault. And I think we all mm-hmm. acknowledge that it was ultimately Lewis turning in too sharply that caused the problem. But the bottom line is this. If you have a hope in fuck of competing in the constructors championship, you got to sort this yeah, shit right now. Fast, quick, and in a goddamn hurry right now. Like you can't keep laughing around. Get it fucking done. Get it sorted. Tell everybody what it's going to be, you know, and if you don't have the balls to do that, then congratulations. You're about to be fourth yeah. in the Constructors Championship in 2024 if you're fucking lucky. I don't have any hope that they're going to end up in second. I think they're going to be fucking lucky if they end up third with five races to go. That's how bad they are right well, now. Well, it might be for the best that they end up so far down and have all the more development time. I don't think it'll matter. I think this team is just cooked. We're watching a team unravel in real time. They have two of the best drivers on the grid, but they aren't capable of managing that. And they sure as hell aren't taking advantage of the time that they've had to improve any of their operations. Who knows? Even if they had a great car, and I have a lot of faith in James Allison, but even if they had a great car next year, which we have no guarantee of, would it make any difference when every other team on the grid is 18 to 24 months ahead of them in development? Right? Yeah, we're so fucked. We're super fucked. And not in like a fun way. And on that uplifting (laughs) note, what else happened in the race, Jay? Well, and now we get to lap four. (laughs) We go green. (laughs) (laughs) I think we might need a momentary pause for me to get even more whiskey. Brief pause for more booze and the poodle. 
So we go green again at lap four, and Max Verstappen has a really good restart. It's safe to say he controls the race for the in the first stint. Yeah, absolutely. He's controlling it like that. This launch, he did really, really well. Oh, one of the things we didn't note, and it never said what happened. Bottas lost part of his wing or his nose in the first lap because he came. He comes in to change his nose. And all that the commentator said was he changed his nose, but they never showed anything and they never said anything. He definitely came in for a pit stop, though. Well, there's a couple of things. I think the direction in the race was really bad. I think it was chaos. It was a challenging race to figure out how you would manage. But with the option of graphics, the idea, knowing what we know going into the race about every driver having used tires with different amounts of laps on them and a limited number of new tires and trying to manage 18 laps versus 20 laps, like come up with a graphic. Yeah. You know, there was never anything. They'd pop up a little header that would say, so-and-so must pit by lap, whatever. And it was like, well, that's great. It's on screen for two seconds and there are 20 drivers and you're trying to keep track of it in your head. And there was no way to make heads or tails of that. And God knows like one of the previous races i can't remember what it was if i was watching free practice or quality or something but there was ongoing jokes with new graphics with julian palmer like with an umbrella in a rain suit in a car in a swimsuit like all these things that they were making on the fly so somebody obviously knows how to make them and how to put them up why don't they have that person in for the race day even if they're an intern maybe you should fucking hire them and give them money and they can, you know, make some graphics. Agreed. Also, I think you got to note that Oscar in the melee between Lewis and George helping each other screw themselves. George has come in. He's dead last. Piastri is up to second. Piastri managed to avoid all of the carnage amazingly. He did a really, really good job. Uh, and the race restarts almost right away. Russell Pips Perez coming in. Hulk and Sonoto have a really good battle going on, going back and forth for passing, and eventually Hulk pips Sonoto. While that was all going on, it came up that Hulk has a 10-second penalty that we talked about earlier for starting in the wrong spot. And we go on, and by lap 8, Russell is up to 12th, and Perez is still only like 14th or something. It is worth noting that Russell is on the medium and Perez is on the hards, But Perez, throughout the entire course of the race, did not cover himself in glory. And I don't know if the heat was affecting him by that point. I haven't heard anything about Perez, like, puking in his helmet or having to be helped out from his car. But I don't know. I don't remember the lap. So I didn't, I'll acknowledge, I didn't take great notes uh, during the race. So I don't remember at what point in the race we finally started to hear. It started, the focus was on Logan Sargent you finally get a team radio and you're having a sort of weird, awkward uh, interaction between Logan and the pit wall. It almost, I think it almost sounded like he was talking to James. Yeah, it was James. It was lap, it was lap 35 where James Vowles comes on and it was like, there's no shame in it. So that was the first time in the race that we really had any hint that somebody was suffering. Now there had been comments because George coming in and out was raising his visor. And then at one point Lando was raising and lowering his visor as he would be coming in to the pit lane for a stop. Uh, Alonzo talked about his butt was very, his, his ass was on fire. His side. And he wanted to know if they could dump water on him. Yeah. So there was some obvious signs eventually that the, the heat was a issue within the race. With Logan, sort of, again, in the context of narratives that happen, 
was he was sick. And that was the narrative was that he was sick and whether or not he could continue the race because there was no understanding of the fact that this was really physically impacting all of the drivers. It became a whole narrative around, you know, Logan's just bailing basically. Logan just needs to kind of suck it up. Nobody has said anything about Logan being sick. So why is Logan suddenly having issues? You have this sort of weird dialogue happening between DC and Jolyn Palmer. And it was a, it was sort of a piling on moment. Yeah. And even in the context of the race, I was not comfortable with how the conversation was going. And of course, in hindsight, they seem even douchier for talking about Logan the way they did. And again, I'm not a Logan Sargent apologist by any stretch of the imagination. No, if anything, we lead a little anti-Logan Sargent because of his family and his political leanings. Correct. But I just wasn't comfortable with the way that that was being discussed in the context of the race even then. I don't have a ton of interest in the lap-by-lap analysis of what happened. I think... Again, as a as a spectator, it was challenging to follow and understand who was really where. Usually you have a pretty good sense of who's, you know, actual, even though if they're in 12th, where they really are. That was super challenging in this race. It was clear that George was having a very strong race. He'd he'd make it way make his way up past several people, but you just didn't know how many pit stops were really left at any given time. Yeah, all the things you talked about. You've got a lot of drivers doing really weird things. You said way earlier, you know, George would take his hands off the wheel. It was hard to put it in the context in the moment of the race. You mentioned Alonzo. You know, Alonzo takes a flyer off into the gravel at one point. I don't know if his tires were going off. Came back on. Again, I I know F1 drivers have really good reflexes, but I'm still not sure how he didn't manage to collect Charles Leclerc at that point. And how he didn't get a penalty for an unsafe re-entry. AF and men. I think I read actually the the stewards thing and it was because Charles didn't have to take evasive action. And I'm like, just because Charles didn't crash his car didn't make that not a dangerous re-entry. But nevertheless. I watched that happen. I was like, how the fuck? Like, and again, just because Charles didn't have to like, as you said, take evasive action. I don't think the way Alonso came in, Charles had the ability and time to take evasive action. And again, in hindsight, we might as well just jump to it. I mean, we're talking about it. Let's just talk about it. We we can, I'm sure there are other nuances and, and things that happen in the race that are worth discussing. But for me to think about the fact that eventually Logan did retire mm-hmm. and that was a talking point in the race because again i think everybody's sort of expecting uh at any time williams to go yeah we tried but i'm sorry logan like this isn't it and you had the commentators dogpiling on that logan retires and has to be helped out of the car yeah and they were making such a big deal about well nobody said anything about him being sick before this so like blah 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 blah. turns out logan had had quote unquote flu-like symptoms earlier in the week which you interpret that however you want. It translates to he was already dehydrated before mm-hmm. they got to Qatar. He clearly had heat stroke. We then find out Lance Stroll climbed out of his car barely and stumbled immediately to an ambulance yeah. to ask for help after this race. We find out he was literally tunnel visioning starting to black out in the high-speed corners. Ocon from, like, I think he said turn 15, or not turn, lap 15 or 16, vomiting in his helmet. 
which I can't even begin to be okay about. Like there's still another 40-ish, 40 laps to go behind with that smell. And like those helmets are tight. Again, as Heather and I said, neither of us are huge Logan Sargent fans by any stretch of the imagination. However, you had the announcers dogpiling on him like, well, he's not a real racer. When I was a real racer, if a true racer just pushes through it. And look, I am by no stretch of the imagination an elite athlete at all. I happily do half marathons. I finish in the middle of the pack. I definitely know about pushing through and being able to do a race or DNF a race and figure out when I do that. And these guys are top 0.00001% of athletes in the world. And if they're saying there's an issue and there's a health problem, and it's been interesting, some of the stuff that I've been reading post-race is that all the other drivers that have raced at Qatar are saying, we're so happy that this was so horrific for F1, not because they're happy how bad it was for the drivers, but that it's finally drawing attention to how bad the track is in terms of how his actual setup is, how challenging the track is in terms of the weather conditions and what other drivers are being forced to race in. And you can say as much as you want, oh, they're athletes, they're paid. They can't leave when they want to. If they leave, they void their contracts. There are huge financial and legal ramifications if they do not race, which is why, despite the fact that they unanimously did not want to race in Saudi Arabia a couple of years ago, they had to race. There is no walking away from that without sort of really big repercussions. And I think having so many drivers be so ill, I don't know if we mentioned it, like Albon had to be lifted out of his car. He could not leave his car on his own. And this is not okay. I love driving. I love a good spectacle. I love racing, but I don't want it at the cost of anybody's long-term health or their lives or anything like that. Like I'm Canadian. You know, the saying is you go to a fight and a hockey game might break out, but that's not actually what I want to see. I want to see good athletes at the height of their training and understanding performing at the height of their abilities. Making these guys drive around a track while they're throwing up and passing out. That's not fucking cool, man. What she said. Was there anything else within the context of the race that you really wanted to hit? I I think it's worth noting, you know, again, just because track limits, we had 51 laps deleted over the course of the race. Both Checo and Lance had multiple five-second penalties. Gasly did as well. So there you go. You had Checo and Stroll and Gasly with multiple five-second penalties. I think we can say George really did have an amazing recovery drive to get himself, you know, from basically dead last on lap two all the way back up to P4. Tells you really, you know, McLarens worked their way up and got themselves both on the podium, which kudos to them. It would have been fascinating if the Mercedes could have kept their shit together and not created a situation that caused the chaos that it did in turn one, where would they have been? The car had pace, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, Lewis has had better race pace. If George could get back up to P4 from P18, would they both been on the podium? Hard to say. If they had, I think they would have secured P2 in the constructors. They did not, and they will not, is my take on that. No, the fact that Toto had to call from wherever he had to call from. Again, for a race in a row. Yeah. So anything else you want to really hit within the context of the race itself? I don't think so. So I had for records are made to be broken that McLaren set that new record 1.8 second pit stop for Lando. I know they had at least one other that was at 2.0. They were really money. I will say 
Red Bull had a 4.1 second pit stop. For Verstappen, no less. Yeah, that was crazy to see in real time. I'm not used to seeing that not hanging off a Mercedes driver. And even Perez's pit stops. I mean, he had multiple five-second penalty pit stops. But apart from that, he just had bad pit stops. Let's be real. They are done with Checo. Oh, yeah. Checo's gone. Checo will make it till the end of the season, but Checo is not going to be in that seat next season. Not, not for a million years. Who did you have for driver of the day? I had Piastri. He had a solid fucking drive. He had an amazing weekend. Like, props to him, man. He did really well this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I had Oscar, and that's three weeks in a row that I have agreed with the general public's choice for driver of the day, which is unprecedented, boys and girls. Absolutely unprecedented. I actually also give Logan Sargent kudos for being smart enough to park up. Yeah. I find the idea that a bunch of them are out there driving with tunnel vision and graying out and puking. I just find that fucking asinine. That's not safe. You can, fine. If you're puking your helmet, you're having to deal with that yourself. That's one thing. I do not feel the need to dogpile on Lance Stroll the way many people do. He's clearly, he's not availing himself of the points options that his Hmm. teammate is But that said, I don't have anything against Lance per se, but I find it not okay that you chose to keep driving when you were blacking out in the high-speed corners. You pass out, you can cause havoc. And I am coming back to this right now because fuck Martin Brundle is the nice way I'm going to put it. The last iota of respect I had for Brundle died and was buried under a rock this week when I have to read him talking about this in the context of Blah, blah, blah. You know, Nikki Lauda drove when he didn't. But don't put Nikki Lauda's name in your yeah. mouth. Nikki didn't want to drive in the race that caused him to be burned alive. And you assholes who are not in the driver's seat making these constant ongoing lit rain and awful treacherous conditions. That's what your best driver. Stop. Yeah. Just stop. Will Buxton, shut your mouth. Stop talking about this. These announcers who have never driven these types of cars, Julian Palmer's the one who's who's driven a closest iteration of these cars, just fuck right off. When my day, I could try. Fuck you, Jackie Stewart. Fuck you. I defy you to get in these cars at the peak of your driving career and do okay. Agreed. And I don't care. You know, like for me, that's the thing. Like I want to watch these amazing athletes driving these engineering marvels, ideally with actual competition, unlike what we're watching unfold currently. I don't need to see them driving in extremely dangerous conditions to appreciate their talent or to enjoy watching a race. I don't find that interesting, engaging, or in any other way I don't want to watch somebody die. Yeah, it's not the fucking Hunger Games. Right. That does not need to be a part of what I'm enjoying F1 to do. And when these gross old white men or even middle-aged and younger white men are making these claims, it's disgusting. It's part of the same bullshit narrative we've seen and talked about in the past. But here's the thing. We know that next year, Qatar is later. It's really late in the season. So hopefully that alleviates this god-awful heat-humidity combo that created part of this. The stint length was also part of this. 
because they were all having to drive basically at quality lap level because these stints were so short. Yeah. They had to drive as fast as possible. They are going to have to figure out what they need to do to avoid this problem next year. Please don't even breathe sprint race as a concept at Qatar ever again. But I am so disappointed that the FIA still, like, yeah, they'll give lip service to, we'll make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. It shouldn't have happened at all. No, never. I'm appreciative of Logan Sargent. I know he had to have been absolutely desperate. You heard it in his voice talking to James Valls. He wanted to finish that race. He would say, I can do it, man. Believe me, I can do it. So for him to have then retired, I can't even imagine how hard that was for him. So I give him that. Luckiest son of a bitch. I had Lewis Hamilton who managed to come away with more points than Checo despite the the DNF. Like that should not have happened. And again, I'm sorry, Checo. And I I still fully believe that Checo is going to end up P2 in the driver's championship. I don't know how Lewis managed that considering he was not shining glory upon himself this weekend. I also agree with Lewis uh, for a slightly different one where he did not get collected in that Ocon Hulkenberg. Was it Akon Hulkenberg? Check out. They didn't get collected in that. That poor bastard. I this time gave it to all 18 drivers who actually finished that race. Mm. Carlos Sainz and Lewis Hamilton. Maybe I should give the two of them luckiest son of a bitch for not having to drive (laughs) in those conditions, which were clearly horrific. Horrific. Yeah. It's stuck in my head. At the start of the race, when they're all lined up on the grid and they still have their tire blankets on and they're holding umbrellas over them that the majority of the pit lane crews had sweated through their hair. They looked like they'd been swimming. Their hair was so wet. I hope that the FIA has learned something from this at the end of the day. Douche canoe of the race. I had Lewis for clipping George and costing the team huge points, Um, but also George for fucking the team strategy. For Toto, for not nipping all of this fucking drama in the bud, because I truly believe that Toto Wolf created this problem and he's not dealing with it. Mercedes as a whole for fucking up their team management. And honestly, their creepy fucking social media behavior this week. I understand why people are calling it out. This team is on a spiral downwards, boys and girls. I don't know where it's going to end, but I think we're watching it in real time at the moment. I agree with that. I have all of the announcers for just like being absolute bags of pustulant ball sweat for calling out and making fun of people before, during, and after the race for tapping out, for saying it's too hot. These conditions are awful. We can't race in them. We had people long after the race saying if they were true racers in my day, fuck right off. It was 39 degrees plus humidity at night. That's unreal. And you're driving in those snowsuits, basically, in on top of furnaces, right? Like, let's keep that in mind, right? The cars are hot in and of themselves. The engines are going. They are sitting and leaning against heat sources. I agree completely with that. I basically slotted all of that into the asinine commentator comment category because I just thought the snide comments about Logan, everything that came afterwards... As I said before, the last shred of respect I had for Martin Brundle just like shriveled up and died. I have not had space for Martin Brundle in my brain for about 18 months, but that was it. And Will Buxton and Matt Kewitt, Autosport, and all of these pathetic excuses for commentators or journalists, 
this was a moment where you go, our sport can do better. We can do better and we can protect our drivers. And we should be looking at how we take the fact that we have the 20 best drivers in the world, whatever, you know, like blah, 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 parse whether it really is the 20 best drivers in the world or not. The idea that people like Martin Brundle will give this bullshit about them not owning the idea that Martin Brundle will sit there and act as though enduring these kinds of conditions is not beyond the pale is vile. So for manufactured bullshit Liberty Media talking point of the weekend, I think the obvious is the unending circle jerk for Max Verstappen's third driver's championship, arguably his first legitimate driver's championship that didn't involve fucking cheating by Michael Massey and or cheating by the team as a whole. But well, here's the thing. I think it builds on previous cheating from developing that car. I don't disagree. That said, I will give Max Verstappen credit. He is a machine. It's nothing that I ever want to experience again. I don't know what my long-term future as a viewer of F1 really is. I have to sort of cling to this season by my fingernails to keep watching and not be like, oh my God. You can't deny that he's extremely effective as a driver in that car, which is wildly dominant compared to everything else on the grid, but he doesn't make stupid mistakes. The most excitement that you ever get is him and GP verbally tangling with each other. So, you know, whatever, kudos this season, la, 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 la. I have no interest in watching this for two more years and I'm pretty sure that's what we're on for. So I do hope that if nothing else, McLaren really are continuing to improve their car. You've got two strong drivers there. I think we all know Danny Ricardo is going to end up in the second seat for Red Bull for next year because they have nobody else that meets their marketing needs. Uh, I think they think that he can handle the same type of car as Verstappen, meaning what they want in a car is similar enough. There's no way. I bet they tell him going in, like you're driver number two, your whole purpose is to make sure Max wins. a They don't need to tell him. He knows that you don't even need to say that out loud. I don't know. He's not that smart. Danny Rick has to be happy to be on the grid. That's the, that's the, the, the knock on effect of having his ass kicked at McLaren is Danny Rick knows every day he gets to be in a car on the F1 grid is a gift. He's never going to complain ever, 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 ever about being the number two driver. He knows exactly the same way Checo did. Like you can give lip service to it, but Checo always understood what his place was. I don't buy that Checo. I mean, again, they're drivers in their own minds. Yeah, yeah, I can do whatever. Please. There was never a point where Checo wasn't the number two driver. To your point earlier, I think it will be fascinating to see how McLaren handle it, whether Zach Brown is less of a douchebag than we all kind of believe he is. Or he could just be a complete douchebag, but still control the team, right? Yeah, well, right. They're not mutually exclusive. Both can be true at the same time. I think Oscar Piastri has such a level head. Yeah, look at his mom. How do you not have a level head with a mom like that? (laughs) Right? He will just do what he needs to do. 
I don't believe we will ever see Piastri and Norris come together the way we're seeing Hamilton and Russell. I was going to say, or back in the day, the way Ricardo and um, Verstappen did. Yeah, because back then they both thought that they were Queen B. You know, at that point, Danny was the lead driver perceptually. You can make a decision and you need to make a decision about what your goal is. And McLaren, I think at this point, there's going to be some sort of crossover moment that happens where it's clear that Piastri is better than Norris. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be an awkward moment. And at that point, it won't really matter because that'll only last for a few months. And what will happen is Norris will leave McLaren. Yeah. And that's how that's going to be resolved. And Piastri will end up being the one that stays with McLaren and build the team around him. I think Albon will go somewhere else in a year. I, I think it would be fun to see Albon redevelop mm-hmm. Williams. I don't think Albon will stay at Not Williams. Not unless they vastly improve. Right. He's he's done very, very well this season. And he, he deserves to have an opportunity to choose another seat if he wants it. And I suspect he will. I think the only team that's really, really at risk right now is Mercedes. And they've just created so many problems. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get themselves out of this hole anytime soon. And a good car won't make it better. No, They're the only team on the grid where if they improve their car, their problems actually (laughs) get worse, not better. 100% do. Right? Like, how'd you manage that, Toto? I don't understand how he managed Bottas and Lewis fairly well for the most part and has shit the bed so badly. Well, I think there's a couple things at play. I think it's not hard at this point to acknowledge that George is better than Valtteri in some ways, not all of them. You know, Valtteri had the ability to beat Lewis in quali from time to time too. I think George is just way more aggressive. Again, like I think Valtteri is a fundamental tenet of who he is, understood the importance of the mm-hmm. team aspect of things. I think George doesn't give a fuck. He'll, he'll give it lots of lip service, but I think when it comes to being in the car in the moment, I'm sorry, we've seen it all year long. George is very about yeah. George. George is never worried about what do we need to be doing. It's never the word we would never come out of his mouth. No, and he never congratulates his teammate. Ever. Ever. Like, you will not hear the word Lewis did a good job today come out of his mouth. In the meantime, Lewis has to give George props all the time. The difference in how the media narrative works if Lewis makes a mistake versus if George makes a mistake, has been in stark relief in the last 10 days. And I know that it, we'll keep talking about this at length, but even watching how Mercedes' own social media team manages how perception works around these events this week has been enlightening and not really in a good way. I think they're going to continue to try and sell the Kumbaya narrative. There is no Kumbaya in that team right now. I'm sorry to be a fan of a team that is as bad as this right now. And like I said earlier, I don't, I don't think we're at rock bottom. No, I think, I think we're going to find a rock bottom, which will be fucking awesome. And by awesome, I mean awful. I think it's certainly providing a ton of entertainment If you're not a Mercedes fan, if you're somebody who really hated Mercedes throughout their dominant period, 
this is a very good time for you. So, Heather, where's the next race? The next race is at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. And where will we be watching it? We will be watching it trackside at turn 15, together with a bunch of awesome friends that we made a year ago, plus in Montreal. And I, for one, am over the moon to get to see not only that group of friends that we made in Montreal, but some new friends we've made online. Uh, I am super, super, super excited uh, to get to see Formula Academy yeah, live. Yeah, I'm so stoked to be able to see that live. It's a sprint weekend, which uh, I really wish it wasn't. I wish you had other support races. Yeah, I'm I'm a much bigger fan of getting to see free practice. I'm a freak. I like free practice. I like the idea that the teams really get a chance to get their car dialed in. And then by the time we get to the race, everybody's really operating at peak as opposed to the bullshit that gets generated. But nevertheless, it is what it is. We get to see, I'm not going to lie, having the opportunity to see the killers, Queen and DJ Tessio is like, are you kidding me? I am fucking awesome. Over the moon on that. And it's just been announced yesterday. There's a whole section where you can go make friendship bracelets. We can go make friendship (laughs) bracelets. Coming soon to you, Tableau 20 friendship bracelets. And there's a bunch of people that I think are going to be there that I'm looking forward to hopefully hopefully getting to see in person and say hi to. So I think it's going to be a good weekend. I don't think it's going to be a good weekend for my team or my driver, but it will not stop us from enjoying F1. We are entering a strange and complicated and high-pressure situation for F1. So we have Coda and Mexico and Brazil. Bam, bam, bam. Two of those three races are additional sprints on top of Qatar. So um, this is sort of the crush period of the calendar for 2023. After that, we go. (laughs) They announced the race times for Vegas this week. What time's the racing in Vegas? 10.30 at night, I think, or 11 p.m. It's like literally they found the one time slot on the entire 24 hours of a clock that works <laughs> right? for nobody anyway. Go, F1. Unless you happen to be drunk and stumbling around in Vegas Well, they wouldn't let moment. you stumble along the strip anyway. That's true. They've torn out all the trees and put in grandstands. So who the hell knows what's really happening? Oh, God forbid FOM and Liberty Media would make a good choice. But here we are. It'll be over soon, boys and girls. Handful of races to go. But yeah, how about you? What are you looking forward to in Austin, As Heather said, to seeing all of our friends in person again that we made when we went to the Montreal race. Um, I'm looking forward to a bunch of the really awesome people I've met online to seeing them in person. Some of them we got to see in Silverstone. All right. We will be back in hopefully two weeks giving what you know about us and how frequently we manage to get these podcasts uploaded. It might be December. Who knows? We'll try our best people. Thanks for sticking with us. All right. We will talk soon. Jen, have a wonderful night. Heather, have a great night. And Hey, I'll see you in Austin. Talk to you later. Bye.